welcome to the LarryInFishers.com podcast. I'm Larry Lannon. Tom Britt, local publisher of monthly magazines mailed to local areas he serves, such as Fishers and Geist. Tom Britt has recently moved his company headquarters from the Geist area to downtown Fishers. He is also involved with the 37 Thrives PR campaign tied to the State Road 37 Reconstruction Project. I spoke with Tom Britt midday, Wednesday, August 14th. I'm looking right out on North Street in downtown Fishers. In fact, I can see Four Day Ray just across the street. And I am here with Tom Britt. Uh, I looked at the... uh, I looked this up. We haven't talked on a podcast since June of 2016. Right, so the Mama Bears the last time. It was time. a Mama Bears, which is not even called Mama Bears <laughs> anymore. Yep. It's still there. It's still there, yeah. Guy's Coffee. So uh, good to see you, Tom. Yeah, thanks for, for coming who, by. For those who don't know, he is the publisher of monthly magazines, Fishers, Geist, I think 15 others now. Is that right? That's right. Yeah, we have, we're a franchise system. So we have three down in Kentucky, one in Northern Indiana. Kokomo's coming online this month. First, that'll be number 17. So yeah, we're, we're growing steadily, but we're growing. Well, first thing I want to do is just let you know how shocked I am that a man of your political acumen did not know that Liam McGrath was exploring (laughs) Uh, a possible candidacy for 5th District Congress. You, I get, of course, you know, we live on Twitter right, uh-huh. these days. If you're in media, you have to be on Twitter and you don't I, exist. I get that. And uh, you sent a Twitter message saying, I didn't even know she was running. Because I had well, written the story saying she's not running. Well, I didn't know she was running. Well, I have to tell you, just on your podcast, this will be a big announcement for you today, is um, I am not running for Congress either. So I was going to put that out there today and make a big press announcement about it. I'm going to make a note of it. Thank I, you. I, may, I, I talked to my family about it, so I'm, I'm not running as well. So. <laughs> I guess, I guess if we get all the people who could run to say they're not going to run, we'll figure out who it's going to be eventually. I just saw that Kelly Mitchell, the state treasurer, is moving into the 5th District. She may uh, end up being a candidate. But anytime there's an open seat, it's always mayhem. But Leah McGrath had been mentioned in several news stories as a potential candidate. When I asked her on a podcast uh, recently, she didn't say yes or no, but she said absolutely no what day or two ago. <laughs> So that's uh, that's the way politics works. It's not it doesn't always make sense, does yeah. it, Tom? That's but why it I don't politics. follow it that much because <laughs> it's just like a soap opera. It's on during the day while I'm trying to work, and I just don't want to see it. So, well, last time you and I talked on a pod, I mean, we see each other around town mm-hmm. quite a bit. But the uh, last time we talked on a podcast, uh, you still had your office at Geist, right? And you seem to enjoy that office at Geist. But you have made a move to downtown Fishers. Talk about that process. Yeah, we, we love guys. So the, the convenience factor was second to none. We lived eight-tenths of a mile away from our office at um, off Fall Creek Road. And Chris Schulhoff was our landlord, so he's a great guy. He's a good friend of mine. So we had the best of all worlds. We're close to home. We were in Geist. Um, but we got to the point where, as we're growing, we just needed some more space. And uh, we had six people working in about 500 square feet. And so it got, you know, phone calls were kind of tough. And as we're growing, you know, we're a franchise. So we, we have franchisees coming in a lot. We've got franchisees coming in for training for a couple of days. And so we, we just didn't have the, the space to do what we needed to do. And so a couple of years ago, we started looking for some bigger space. 
And at the time in Fishers, it was just really hard to find anything that was close to what we needed. We needed something between a thousand and fifteen hundred square feet. Most of our people work. Well, all of our franchisees work from home. All of our staff, most of them are freelancers, so they're working from home or they work on the road. Um, so our full-time staff, we don't need a whole lot of space, but we just needed a little more than what we had. So in Fishers, what we found a couple years ago, even leading up to this year, was it's just hard to find a 1,000, 1,500-square-foot office space. And um, I was actually working out across the street. I go to Max Challenge um, Tuesdays are gun show days, by the way, upper body. But anyway, I was over at Max Challenge, and I walked out of the back door, which is where I always parked on the street, and I saw these offices here at the Spark Apartments. And I had been in conversations with the city about um, office spaces, maybe uh, to relet a space or sublease a space or something I could find. And I emailed Megan Baumgartner with mm-hmm. the city, and I said, hey, what's, this, what's the deal with these Spark Apartments? I see retail down there. Oh, yeah, you got to call James Workman. I called James Workman that morning. He said, well, we're all sold out. We have one spot left. And um, there was no signage in anywhere. There was nothing built out. I was like, well, how did you sell them so fast? And I said, well, I thought to myself, well, I'm not the only guy looking for 1,000 square feet. And so James, um, we, we put in a deposit. I came and looked at the space. It was just a, a shell, but it was right where I wanted to be. I wanted to be close uh, to home, but I also want to be kind of back in the action. Um, you know, being out at Geis is beautiful to go home to at night, but when you're in business like we are, we're trying to be around people. We're trying to be around the news that's happening. We want to be, when events are happening, we want to be close to those. Um, Geis was not the best place for that. So moving downtown Fishers and um, just kind of following as you have over the last nine years, all the development downtown, is like, I really want to be down here. And so the, the space was the right size. Um, it took us a little time to get it built out, but we just moved in three weeks ago, and we, we just couldn't be happier. Um, it's it's kind of nice when you come to the office every day, and you can walk across the street to Ford A. Ray, as you aforementioned, mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. and have lunch, or I can go across the street and get a Smoothie King, or I can go around the corner to Verde for lunch and have uh, Taco Tuesday. And those are all within walking distance of here. So uh, we we couldn't be happier with the move. I want to ask about uh, Spark Fishers Festival. Spark is, is where you are. That's the name of the complex, but Spark Fishers has now for the second year uh, been the city-run summer festival, and uh, you handled a PA for the parade. Now, because you couldn't. Well, you I wouldn't could, show up. Well, last, I couldn't You're, come this year because it was the first time in 40 years that my mother's side of the family had a reunion. <laughs> so it was in St. Louis, and I just I, t- I told... Uh, the people at uh, Fishers, I said, I'd love to help out this year, but, but you know, I was lucky because I did it last year and it didn't rain. Now you didn't have that luck. Well, it's okay. So first of all, it was your gig that you let me do. So <laughs> thank you for, thank you for giving me a mulligan and, and let me do it this year. Cause it was fun. I'd never done a parade before, but, uh, it was kind of funny. Uh, I'm up on this, <laughs> I'm up on this little riser. Okay. And it's got a, it's a tent over the top of it. It's the only tent around. That's right. I didn't realize how how popular they would be if it started raining. Because <laughs> I'm still trying to announce the parade, and, and people start around. scooching in, and I'm like, I start getting like claustrophobic. It's like yes. everybody's getting on the elevator here, and there's no <laughs> else for, the, for us to go. And uh. I'm still trying to announce the parade, and actually I made one of the groups upset with me because I paused right before I announced them. It, I wasn't pausing because I didn't want to say their name, or I didn't know who they were, because... 
people were kind of encroaching on me. And I thought mm-hmm. I was getting pushed and I was getting elbows in my back. I was like, who are you people? <laughs> so, yeah, it was, it was quite the spectacle. But it, mm-hmm. I tell you what, it was my first time to actually watch that parade mm-hmm. start to finish. And I was just blown away by the support of it. I, you know, I think in a lot of in a lot of ways, moving downtown and just us coming here has opened our eyes to not only what Fishers is doing and what it's done, but just the vibrancy that's down here. And you hear badness spout out the word vibrant, entrepreneurial all the time. But when until you come down here and just walk around for a couple of days, you really have a hard time grasping what he's talking about. But now we're starting to see it. I'll see. We're going to talk more about that later. But he had that vision, and it has come, I think, much quicker than he thought. One last thing on parades, though. Yeah. I cut my teeth doing parades on radio, of all things, where you would have to describe what's going by and just kind of bring <laughs> the sound in. One thing I learned about parades is that they never ever go in order? Mm. And the sit last year, I don't know what they did this year, but they gave uh, the PR department. It's a really nice uh, background scripts for me, and I had two uh, high school students helping me. Mm-hmm. And we found out the most important thing to do is have somebody scouting to see what's coming next, because no parade ever goes in the order it's supposed to go. It's just it's the nature of parades. So I'm, yeah. That's a challenge nobody knows about. And except they did you now. They didn't tell me that in training, and I, I did go on YouTube <laughs> looking for videos on how to announce parades. I didn't find didn't too many find, good ones. So yeah, yeah, the the training the training ramp was a little longer for me than most. I think it's one of those you have to do it to <laughs> yeah. understand what it's about. It was fun. <laughs> but at the, I, and, I, and I appreciated the fact that the city had asked me to do it the year before, and it's it's hard work. I mean, we had you may have had rain. We had intense heat the year before, mm-hmm. which was a whole. It started to cool off a little bit toward parade time, but that's another challenge. So I want to talk about something else here. Uh, you have started. A, you've always been doing videos here recently, but mm-hmm. you started a series of videos on Facebook and elsewhere uh, with Thirty Seven Thrives, which is an overall PR campaign about the businesses along State Road 37 that will be impacted by that construction and, and other people as well. Well, um, I've seen them. Now, i got to say one thing. <laughs> Nobody understands the technical challenges of streaming live video from a moving vehicle. Right. Every now and then it's <laughs> going to freeze up on you, and there's nothing you can do about it. I just admire the fact you've even tried this because this is a difficult <laughs> thing to do. I've, we've been doing, you know, it's it's funny, and I appreciate the uh, the recognition on the technology side. It looks simple, but it's really not. Um, video, it, it's one of those things that we started doing probably, I don't know, 15 years ago when I first started the Geist magazine. Back then it was the At Geist newsletter. And I started doing podcasting, similar to what you do. This is uh, a much better setup than what I was using, um, bigger headphones and... I, I was w- way too much equipment into it. Looks better than it may be, but go ahead. Exactly. But, uh, you know, we tried doing that, and, and I had a, I just bought a video or bought a camera to take pictures for the magazine, and the camera had digital video capabilities. One of the very first ones. It was a little Fuji camera. It's like 2005 probably, 2006 at the latest. And so I said, you know, for grins and giggles, let's do a podcast, but let's do it on my video camera. And let's record it on the video, just see what it looks like, because I didn't know what it was going to look like. And we did the podcast. We put both out there. We put the audio only. We put the video out there. And the video was seen 10 to 1 over mm-hmm. the audio. And I thought, well, shoot, people don't want to just listen to us. They want to see it, too. 
And so that started our kind of our initial descent into video production. We've been doing a lot of video. Live is, is something I really enjoy doing because the element of surprise. Um, I think when people see live television, they're more in tune to it because they want to watch something bad happen or they want to see somebody mess up. But there's so little of it anymore. Exactly. Exactly. It's all it's all uh, live to tape anymore. But I think when you see something that's live, it's 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 a little more true. Um, it's something that's a little more raw, and I like that. And so we've been doing events and races. We've done pr- the Carmel Fest parade. We've done all kinds of things. And now what's happening, and, and kind of what you're starting to see now, and it's it's not just me. It's our network. Is we're going to start doing more and more live video. Um, interview type things. Um, you're seeing Josh Brown, who's our managing editor. He's going out. He's been talking to people for a couple of years doing live streaming um, from different businesses that maybe we're focusing on. We just did a story about the Zion, uh, Zionsville Nature Center, and we put them on the cover. Well, he went out and did an interview with the director talking about things. And people like to see that human side because you can only get so far with prints, two-dimensional. But if I can see video, I can hear their voice, I can hear their inflections i can hear them their actual conversation with them versus just a quote that was pulled out for the story Uh, people enjoy that so um, the 37 thrives it's kind of funny you mentioned that because we've been doing a lot of stuff in cars before Um, and when they start talking about doing this project up state road 37 I was just in like a, not a brainstorming session, but it's just with the city and M of X was there. They were kind of the agency that's running that whole project on the marketing side. and Which is just down the street from here. Yeah. Literally, it's right next door to yeah. us. And so as we were talking and, and brainstorming about this stuff, I just said, hey, you know, it'd be kind of fun if you did, uh, you know, dash cam video riding up and down State Road 37. And kind of like, it started out as carpool karaoke was the idea. <laughs> But I can't sing, well, and should, neither can anybody else. I was going to say, well, you could find somebody, right? <laughs> <laughs> Had to bring in a house band in the back seat. But, you no, know, we started talking about that, and they really liked that idea. And, and, and I just kind of left the conversation, and, you know, here's my ideas, thanks for lunch, and I left. And, and lo and behold, it kind of got integrated into their whole marketing plan to do these. And so each one we've done, we, we're trying to take the bar up a little bit. The one we're doing tomorrow, as a matter of fact, which will be on Thursday, uh, the 15th, we're doing with Big Joe Stasniak, who's on 1070 The Fan. and um, Former uh, lineman for the Colts. Former lineman for the Colts. Played at right. Ohio State, too. Exactly, yeah. So he's going to come out, and we're going to do one with him. Uh, we've got one next month we're going to do with WZPL. I believe um, Will producer Will is going to come out. They've, they've created this new character. I don't want to tip our hand too much, but uh, it's a construction-related character they've developed, and we're going to take that character out a.k.a. Will, uh, producer Will, and um, we're going to do some fun stuff on State Road 37. So the whole concept is we want to bring attention to the businesses on State Road 37 so people know that they're still in business, they're still operating, and yeah, there's some inconvenient traffic things going on. There might be a weird exit you have to go down, or 37 might have cones on the shoulder, but they're still open, people. And I think what's happened what happened in Carmel when they did the 31 uh, corridor, they just don't want to see a repeat of that. And I think, you know, to, hats off to Fadness and the whole city engineering department, all those guys for stepping up early with NDOT and saying, listen, we want to take control of the messaging of this because we do not want 
37, all those businesses suffering during this construction? Because I believe, I don't believe, I know I was there at the meeting when the county council approved the final uh, niche of the funding. Uh, part of the deal to get that done, because there was some question about whether the county council was going to approve that final $12 million to get it moving. Was this half million dollars as part of that bond to do marketing for for these businesses? And I think what you referred to there about Carmel is really important because a lot was learned by what maybe Carmel didn't think about. By the Car- by the time Carmel realized what was happening to their business community, it was too late. Right. Uh, yeah, right. There's and still I've, businesses that suffer for that. And there's still there's still businesses today blaming say the 31 corridor project for their demise today. Mm-hmm. And that project's been over for a few dear, years. So I think to the credit, we're trying to stay ahead of it. We're trying to be upbeat and positive. And I think the the beauty of this whole project, because I've been involved in it now for probably four or five months, just going to some of the meetings and just meeting some of the business owners, is just the, I guess, the air of appreciation by them, but also the fact that they are vested. They want this to be successful as well. They're not packing up and leaving. Um, they're not pointing fingers at the city yet. <laughs> um, but, you know, I think they see this as a positive thing because you've been up State Road 37. You've been across State Road 37. I would say it's worse now than it's probably going to be when construction starts. I live very close to it. I'm going to be impacted by the construction, but I see the long-term benefit from this. It can't stay the way it is. I mean, no. it's got to be. And I, I can remember the town council got a presentation from the county commissioners with the first idea for this design mm-hmm. years ago. So this has been in in the works for many years. Right. Um, and, and, and I guess the shorthand I use for people, and you kind of alluded to that, is that this is very much like Keystone Avenue and Carmel. With It's not exactly the same, but it's generally the same concept. You have underpasses, mm-hmm. and, and the overpasses are generally going to be Roundabouts will be leap, but I think 146th Street will be automatic signals, right. uh, but it will still be a whole different kind of setup. I, funny thing that happened, I go to these meetings that mm-hmm. uh, uh, the city puts on to update the, 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 the public and some of the businesses, and there was a design, and, and technically, this there's a strip mall that's technically in Noblesville, but it's just north of Fisher, so north of, between 141st and 146th, right there right. 37. And nobody had thought about it, but if you looked at the outline and looked at the plans, the plan was to cut off both entrances to the <laughs> strip mall, and they brought this up, and the engineer says, oh, we have to do something about that. <laughs> no, yeah. we can't do that. So they are going to have a way to get in and out of that place, and there will be other parts of, uh, of 37. I have to tell you, uh, on the first live video you did, it was you and Mayor Fadness. Uh-huh. And I've got to say, you two have done videos before, and you have worked up a chemistry over time. I think the two of you are are fun to watch as comic timing and everything. He, there, he's a straight man, you know. <laughs> I'll, I'll be the comic. No, he's, you know. I think uh, the thing about Scott is, and and I've I have the pleasure of getting to know a lot of people in the, in the town, just like you have. Mm-hmm. Um, we've gotten to know people over the years, and and so when you know people and you you feel comfortable, and they feel comfortable with you, I think it helps that go a little easier. That's why I like to do interviews with people anyway. I, I have a, I don't know if it's from my mom or where I got it from, but I have an ability to make people feel comfortable very quickly. And it's because I'm not, I'm not trying to pressure them. I'm not trying to push them. But I also have a way of punching them in the, in the side a little bit 
and they know it's a joke, right? And exactly, with yeah. Scott, you know, it's been over the years, it's taken a, taken a little time because he is, he's a very funny person, but he also has a very, he has to be very serious most of his time. Most and people don't see that humorous, but he's got a great sense of humor. He, right. do, he does. And, you know, that's why it's a lot of fun. I'm, I'm anxious to meet Big Joe tomorrow. I think mm-hmm. he's a funny guy, too. And producer Will and I, I, you know, I was on the radio for a couple of years with him. Uh, on the Smiley Morning Show, and I'm anxious to meet with them. And there's some other people we're going to have on. we got some other folks we're going to announce uh, later this year to do some shows that uh, are local celebrities. But um, I, I enjoy doing interviews just like you do. I mm-hmm. mean, it's I think when you like have a conversation with people and you you enjoy the that camaraderie, it kind of comes through when you're watching a video. So do you prepare for these live videos? Do you Absolutely make mental, not. So you don't have any mental notes? I, no. I make out notes when I do these uh, podcasts, so I don't know, have a no. problem knowing what questions next. But it uh, looks to me like this is all pretty much off the cuff. The only, the only stuff I write down that I have any notes on are just the things that, um, like sometimes I'll write down the person's name. They've got a weird last name. Larry something or another. I can't remember Larry well, people say mine, mine is the kind of unusual. Right, know? but you know, I might write that down and I'll put on a post-it okay. note on my dashboard so I don't forget how to pronounce their name because I've been really bad at that in the past. Oh, I, 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 I've been there, done that. I know how that feels. Well, i got to say, I did see the live video that you did with uh, Police Chief Gebhardt. Yeah. I, you made an excellent decision there. You let him drive. <laughs> well, I wanted lights and sirens. He said, yeah, we'll do it. <laughs> But I was like, you know, that's going to sound really weird on camera, so we didn't do that. But uh, I tell you what, and and I'm not stroking anybody in the city um, intentionally here, but we just got some really good people around um, in the city. And and Ed is, um, he's just a great guy. You know, and Mitch was a great guy, too. Mitch, Mm -hmm. and he's gone on. He's doing great. I caught up with him a while back, and Mitch is really happy working downtown in the private sector. He's my neighbor now. Oh, he is. We see each other on the neighborhood, and I did get a kind of a catch-up with him. He's doing, yeah, you're right, exactly. He's in the private sector, and I think he's he's done very well. You know, sometimes you make a mistake, and you have to pay the price for it, and we won't get into that anymore, but it was all... Yeah, publicly and he, and, he, and he owns that. But I think when you look at like Ed, and you look at Scott Fadness, mm-hmm. and you look at Leah McGrath, we mentioned earlier, um, all these folks are very approachable, likable mm-hmm. people. But they're also very competent at what they do. And so when you when I get riding around with Ed Gephardt, and I'm riding around with a, with a cop here, the chief of police around Fishers, and I don't know if you watched the video long enough to see the. Actually, the camera dropped off the dashboard <laughs> about halfway through uh, the neighborhood over here, and I blamed it on fatness, of course, because we have a pothole. But anyway, um, <laughs> whenever things like that happen, you know, I, I, w- I would just encourage people that are just Joe residents, just people that are maybe listening to this, that just think I have some insider track. I only had the insider track because I went up and introduced myself to them. That's all I did. That's pretty much what I did, too. Yeah, and, exactly. and they appreciate that. And, and you'd be surprised how many people um, that work for the city will remember who you are just because you made the time to say, hey, my name is so-and-so, and I live in this neighborhood. And then they go, yeah, I know where that's at. And then you say, hey, I want to thank you for what you're doing. Um, you'd be surprised how far that goes with them. And you know, in a job... And all these jobs, public sector jobs, that just get so much heat for just the stupidest stuff, in my opinion. Well, they need that. We're going to talk about an issue that you have addressed. You did a video on this, and that has to do with the future of Geist Reservoir, mm-hmm. the condition of Geist Reservoir. You, in fact, I, I was preparing to do a couple of interviews. I watched your video, 
and uh, <laughs> came in. It was Matt uh, Matt Troyer. Matt Troyer, thank mm-hmm. you. Who said, "Well, you know a lot about this." I didn't tell him. Well, it's because of Tom Britt, <laughs> right? <laughs> I know right. Because I watched the video that you had done and was posted online. Um, there's been a lot of debate. Some people don't think that the group's going far enough. I my view on this is that the people who have been working on this, people like the people you had on your uh, Matt, Matt and some others you had on your video, they've been working hard. They've been asking for donations, going door to door to try to keep the place clean. Right. And now there's an effort for a conservancy district, mm-hmm. which is always controversial right? because you have the details uh, people don't always agree with and mm-hmm. so forth. But that is now on track to happen. I guess it's going through the courts next. You would make me know more about that than I. So explain to me why you thought that was an important issue to highlight on your video series. Well, it's an important issue to me. It's been important for several years. Um, I think if I take people back to uh, 2010 or so, 2009, we had the first blue-green algae scare. I call it the algae scare because Nobody knew what blue-green algae was. Nobody knew that it was bad. You got the state issuing, the health department's issuing these warnings about don't put your cattle and livestock in the water. Don't, don't let your kids swim in. If they do, you got to hose them off and don't drink it. And It's like, what the heck are you talking about? This is drinking water we're floating around in. Why are you telling me I can't do all this stuff? So that was a huge scare. And I think at the time, if you think back, um, the Geist Lake Coalition had been in existence for a few years, but up until then, it was pretty much a recreational issue to them. It was, you know, speed limits on the lake and you know, making sure you know, we had a fireworks, make sure the fireworks keeps going on every week. God forbid we can't have fireworks on Geist. Where are we going to go? You know? It is an impressive fireworks. Display. It is. It is. But that was a, their only concerns at that point. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden now they got thrust into, these volunteers got thrust into a huge issue about blue-green algae, which then it turned into um, the, the um, uh, what they called the snail things that get into the water. Um, they started proliferating the lake. It made the water clean, but also they got these, these like uh, shells all over the inlets and on props and things. And then you had Eurasian milfoil, which is a huge issue. The milfoil was brought into our lake by a boat from outside, mm-hmm. probably from somewhere up north, lake, one of the lakes up north. And now you got this stuff growing up into the lakes and all the shallow areas where you couldn't even get in on a boat. So their role in the lake, the Geist Lake Coalition's role in the lake, has amped up considerably as far as what their expectations are, but also the problems that we're having. And I think the reality has set in, at least with me, I did a story about Lake Lemon. I'd heard that they had a, a conservancy district about, I don't know, six years ago. And I went down to Lake Lemon. I interviewed the manager down there, and I spent a whole day with him. And he lived, ironically, he lived from he lived in Fishers. He took this job down there. He actually has now retired and moved back. His name was Bob something. But the bottom line was, he said, if you guys really want to get a hold on your lake, if you guys really want to make changes, if you guys really want to do things that are really going to make an impact on your lake, you have to serve, you have to form a conservancy district. And that resonated with me. I was like, you know, he's right. There's no way we can tackle these bigger problems and hire people that know what they're doing professionally to manage this lake unless we have a conservancy. Right now it's being run by volunteers who have all the best intentions in the world, and they're raising money. And I, I give my hat off to Brian Hall mm-hmm. every day for all that he's done for this lake and the money, the work he's doing on the side. 
But I tell you what, he takes a lot of arrows too. He's taken arrows from homeowners who see this conservation district as or conservancy district as just a tax increase, and I ain't gonna pay any more. I don't even live on the lake. Why should I pay towards it? You've got boaters and um, you know bass fishermen, uh, recreational users, who you know I'm already paying the ramp. Twenty-seven dollars to launch. I don't want to pay for a three hundred dollar permit. Then you got the other side. Some people say it's not enough. That uh, so you yeah. I, he's taking arrows from every side. Yes, I've seen all that debate. I've interviewed some <laughs> of those people too. And at the end of the day, when I listen to everything, I think, well, you can look at this many different ways. Number one, I hope these arguments don't stop this from happening. It has to happen for guys to be preserved. And the second thing is that, uh, you know, I just hope that there's not litigation that holds anything up. Right. But uh, the, but uh, I think it was part of your uh, presentation well, that uh, there's, it's going to go through the courts. There is a very specific legal procedure, and it is underway. Right. And, and first, so we'll talk about that. But just to, to underline, I guess, your original question, I kind of sure. went on a tangent. Right. But I want the best for Geist, period. Okay? I don't care if I have to pay more in taxes. And I do care, but... I want what's best for the community because in my, you know, if you look back when Fishers tried to annex Geist, Mm -hmm. I sided with the opposition in that because it was not in the best interest at the time for the homeowners to pay more in taxes to have basically the same services that they had. As it turned out, that that changed, okay? And over 2009, 2010, the tax cap went uh, into effect with Mitch Daniels. And then the, the town, which became the city, made some, um, uh, kind of carved out some money to be spent in Geist. So that's why we have the beautiful roundabouts. That's why we have lighting on the bridge. A lot of projects happen as a result of it. The impound, was, what, did they call, there was a, what was the name they called it? It was the impound, impound Fund. Impound Fund. Geist Impound Fund. Right. So all that happened. So why was I against it then and for it later? Because it became the best interest for Geist, and that's what for. With the Geist Conservancy District, that is the best thing for guys. Long term, there is no other solution. Believe me, we've looked at everything. And it's not citizens' problem. We can't just, well, let's just, let's just go, go in default and let citizens pay for it. They'll have to clean it up. No. That, that's not a good strategy well, for anybody. Look what happened in, in Ohio with that yeah. to lake up, up north. And that's the example people give when a lake goes toxic. And that's, I think, what... Attempted the attempt now is to make sure that doesn't happen right. by putting the conservancy district together. I wanted your views on that, and I well, I and as far as the that. process too, I think you're asking yeah. about the process. Mm-hmm. So, so the group has kind of uh, the guys conservancy district group has kind of you know with the, all the legislation that got um, that did never made it through the the house earlier this year, and, and that views kind of burn up. Um, everybody kind of got together, and we just kind of tapped the brakes and kind of regrouped. Um, there was a lot of things that happened in that last 30 days, a lot of miscommunication that went out, um, a lot of things that were ginned up, in my opinion, that, that were not issues, and some other things that probably should have been issues that nobody even paid attention to. And so what's happened is we've kind of tapped the brakes, regrouped, and said, okay, we need more help with this. You know, it can't just be Brian Hall and Matt Troyer. Mm-hmm. It's got to be a whole group. And surprisingly, and I didn't know this at the time, because I don't live in the district. I live about $500,000 away from the district. But <laughs> um, Good way to put that. But there was um, a lot of block captains. There was a whole list of people helping with this cause, getting these petitions signed. And so they, we just got everybody up to speed on, 
on the correct facts. Um, we still have these petitions in hand, like 1,200 or so petitions, which is like 30% of the contingency that they need, twice the statutory requirement for a conservancy district. Um, I believe that petitions will be signed or will be filed here very soon. Um, when that happens, that will start the process, the statutory process of forming a conservancy district. There are hearings along the way, so the public will be invited to those. Um, you know, there's there's an opportunity for people to remonstrate. Yes. If people go back to the Geist Lake Co um, Coalition, or I'm sorry, the Geist United Opposition days, you know, the homeowners remonstrated. They filed mm -hmm. petitions against it. Mm -hmm. They had 80% of the homeowners in Geist file a petition not to become part of Fishers. But the first-in-time law is what actually got that in because they read their first reading before we could file our paperwork, and so that's why that happened. With this, it's going to be very transparent. You're going to see uh, both sides of the argument out there. People can make their own decisions. I, I hope that they will make a decision to sign a petition and support the Conservancy District. Um, I think long-term, you're looking at, you know, maybe a couple hundred dollars, maybe $500 a year more on your property taxes. And coming from a Republican saying, I want to pay higher taxes, I mean, that's crazy. Um, but I feel like in this case, unless we have the structure in place, there is no other way to preserve the long-term viability of that reservoir than to do this. you got to remember, that lake is over 70 years old. It's a reservoir. It's a bathtub with one drain out. Mm -hmm. The bathtub over time fills up with sediment, dirt. If you don't believe me, just go look at the depth level on your, on your depth finder on the lake. And I've got a map from 1954 that has the depths from 1954. It's half the depth that it was in 54. It's going to fill up. So we have to dredge. We've got to get it shallow. We've got to get more depth in the lake. And the only way to do that is hire a dredging company. Well, guess what? Nobody's going to hire that guy. I'm not going to hire him. It's expensive to bring a dredger out and take it offshore. It's expensive to have somebody spring for weeds every year and trying to determine how to best use the money on the shoreline. It's better to hire somebody. Let them run that. Let the Conservancy District make those decisions. Let them prioritize the projects, but also give them the funding they absolutely have to have to make it happen. Because otherwise, if you're waiting on Citizens Energy to come along or the City of Fishers or Indianapolis or Joe Hogsett to come up here and fix your problem, forget about it. How many different municipalities border that lake? It's five or six, I believe. Fortville, well, Indianapolis, There's Lawrence. five zip codes. So it's, we're, talk, so we're talking a, a ton of... You, of, of municipalities, elected officials. It'll but never happen. So I think the Hamilton County uh, has most of the shoreline. So I think that's why that's, as I recall, that's why uh, they are at the, that's, it's in the Hamilton County courts. It goes through that system. Right. One last question before we go here. Time goes fast and I talk it to does. you, Tom. Um, I look back at the fissures that existed when I moved here. In 1991, you, you could even tell there was a downtown, except for the railroad tracks until the town hall was finished. It sort of gave the area a look of a downtown, then all these other things came later. Mm -hmm. um, and you've, you've touched on this before, but, but let that be our final discussion here. How has Scott Fadness managed uh, this tremendous growth in Fishers going all the way back to the time he was town manager before he was mayor? You know, I have no idea how he's done it. 
All I could, all I can do is sit back in appreciation and awe of what he's done. I would say that I would say that Fadness has done more for the city of Fishers in his, I guess, nine years as mayor than any other mayor has done for their city in their entire career. And I'd even, he's sitting right next to Brainerd, who has spent over 20 years in office, right? Brainerd's done a lot for uh, for Carmel. He came. He gave him that identity, that whole downtown, the Palladium. He's done a lot of great things too. But I think Fishers started out way behind them. I mean, we kind of went from a cow pasture with a Fritz's and a McDonald's in it and a shelf station to what we have today. And I think when when I drive around Fishers, and I've and I brought this up to some folks before, but it'd be good to kind of echo here. When I drive around Fishers. We are witnessing history. People don't realize that this stuff hasn't always been here. And I think when you see people that, um, that come to town for the first time or they come to our offices for the first time, and a lot of our people visiting our offices today have never even been downtown Fishers. They, didn't, they knew Fort A. Ray was around. They'd seen the, the water tower on top, but they'd never actually seen it. And when you walk around and you just witness, we're witnessing history. This stuff wasn't here five, six years ago. Ikea wasn't here. That's kind of the thing that people associate to as far as progress. But I look at this whole downtown area. I remember um, going to the town council meetings with, with Faultless and the gang. I remember. <laughs> and they, were t- they had some, um, they put out a, a request for proposals on redeveloping this downtown area. And I think they sent out like 80 RFPs. It was a really high number. They got three proposals back. And two of them were like, we're terrible. It's like the city's going to pay for all this and we'll build it for you kind of proposals. And I remember thinking, God, is this ever going to amount to anything? It's just a lot of small houses, insurance brokerages in here, real estate guys, an attorney with a shingle on the front porch. That's all it was down here. And when Fadness started talking, which back in the day, I, I look back now, I was like, I had no idea what he was talking about. I want to give him a sense of place. I want to have a downtown this was in 2009, 2010. And back then I'm thinking, what's he talking about? You don't want to just build a downtown. And now I look at it today, I'm like, okay, now I know what you're talking about. I, I get it now. And I think the residents of Fishers are, are predominantly very, very proud of what's happened. And I, and I give Fadness the credit for that. If you remember back, and, and since you've been around a while, you, you remember the whole... Um, that vote yes, that whole uh, that ballot thing that they did, a ballot initiative they did when they converted from a, a city from to, a town, town to, to a city. city. Yes, but there was also another initiative to become mm-hmm. a second class or a third class city or something. Second class city was a second mm-hmm. class. It was a. Uh, if you remember that whole objective, our main reason for doing that, and I was supportive of that. I was actually working polls, went door to door, educating people about that initiative. That whole initiative all boiled down to we wanted Fadness to be our mayor. That's the only reason we did it. Had nothing. I mean, we had all these cool videos about other cities that had done it, and you know, lower your taxes, and you know, you have a, you have your city council elect someone to be. Well, you're talking about the, the what mayor. they what they call the uh, 
different kind of city. You see it in surrounding states yeah. where you have a council that, that basically appoints a city manager. And I think uh, Fadness was the one they wanted to do that job. That's, that's why we did it. And, of course, you know, when we became a second-class city and the vote came out that way. He, right. And I'll, I'll end this with this question to you. He was a reluctant candidate. Uh, yeah, as I he recall. didn't want to do He it. didn't want to be a mayor. He didn't feel like he was a politician. And yet, you know, he's become a, a pretty good one. I would say it's that quality that endears him to people. He's not doing this because he wants to have a big name out there. Um, I think he, he genuinely, if you talk to him and Anna and his kids, and you just, if you've known him as long as I have, you just know that he's a genuine person. And this is not paid endorsement. I, I wish he would pay me to endorse him, but, <laughs> but he's a genuine person and he, he's sincere about it. Sure. And, and he generally wants, he generally and genuinely wants to do right. What's the right thing by the city of Fishers. And I think he is looking, let's go back to the Leah McGrath comment at the very beginning. I think he's eyeing a bigger role in the state. Um, I hope he does. Because we need more people like him at a higher level in our state, and I think his his acumen for what he did here in Fishers, that vision can carry not just our city further, but he could have a rainfall effect on helping this whole region of Indianapolis and Carmel and our whole county. And if he ran for governor someday, which I I hope he does, or I hope he runs for you know vice president or something, I don't know, but he's going to run for something big someday. And I think people will look back at what he built here in Fishers and say that was his that was his resume and what a resume it was. He's still a very young man, lots uh, ahead of him, one way or the other. Well, Tom Britt, welcome to downtown <laughs> Fishers. Thank you. Great to visit with yeah, you. Yeah, it's always uh, good catching up with you, Larry. You're a great guy, and and congratulations on the article in the IBJ oh. and. <laughs> Well, and all the was, accolades that came with that, I'm sure. Uh, well, Sam Quinn's very nice. Was very nice. You know, I spoke to her for about 45 minutes. I had no idea what she was going to use, but uh, it was very kind of her to do that. And uh, yeah, I, I'm still trying to figure out how I uh, earned that spot because <laughs> they have some really nice people on page two each week there. But uh, thanks yeah, for the yeah, shout out there, yeah, and, and yeah. Uh, good luck to you with uh, your various business ventures. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks to Tom Britt for joining me on the podcast. Watch for his Town Post publications as they arrive monthly in your mailbox. This podcast has been brought to you by LarryInFishers.com, a news website all about happenings in and around Fishers. Check for my news updates by going to LarryInFishers.com and follow my Twitter account at LarryInFishers. My name is Larry Lannon. Thanks for listening. We'll talk again.